Hello, and welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every other week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I run Canine Conservationists, where I train dogs to detect data. I'm super excited to get to this discussion. Before we start, I do need to thank our sponsors. We had an amazing anonymous donor gift us enough money that the van and its repairs are fully funded, um, which is a huge relief on my end. I am out of credit card debt because I had been personally funding this um, for the nonprofit. And we are living in style at our field site out in Nebraska. That same donor has also gifted us a crash-proof crate, which we're going to install into the van soon. And I'm so grateful for all of the amazing support from all of our small donors and, of course, our giant um, anonymous donor. I just, I can't thank you enough. Um, And all we're doing is helping keep the dog safe while we help the scientists detect data. So next up for us is to get another crash-proof crate as long as we can figure out how to make it all fit in the van. Um... And uh, again, I just can't thank you all enough. We don't have any new reviews to highlight for the show, but I'd love to have some to share. So if you head on over to the Apple Podcasts store, you can let us know what you like about the show. And that always makes my day. Um, You also can certainly check out our merch over at canineconservationists.org if you're interested in representing our podcast and the work that we do. We have some great t-shirts and tanks available on the website. So let's get to it. This episode was inspired by a great episode of Sarah Streming's Cog Dog Radio, which was entitled Drive, Desperation, and Deprivation. I strongly encourage each of you to listen to it if you haven't already. I'll link to it in the show notes. And honestly, I think it might be worth you pausing this episode, going over, listening to Sarah's episode, and then coming back here. Um, Especially if you don't listen to Cog Dog Radio yet. Um, If you like anything that I say, you're going to like Sarah even better. She's basically the smarter, more experienced version of me, um, very focused on agility dogs. She's just absolutely incredible. I can't stop gushing about her. So, um, in some ways, I actually don't feel like I have that much to add beyond what Sarah already says in this podcast, other than basically sitting here and snapping my fingers in agreement. But this is something I think about constantly in the detection dog world. So I do kind of want to chime in with my thoughts, kind of say an amen, and um, hopefully bring this out to the working dog detection dog world, um, other than just the agility dog world. So um, Sarah's Cog Dog Radio episode centers on the concept of building drive for toys by limiting a dog's access to them, which can produce what looks a lot like drive. But Sarah and I would argue that this often looks more is more like desperation. Because the dog, um, you know, they're living a deprived life. They're not able to access something that they love, that they want, that they need. So while it might look like they're really um, drivey, they're willing to work to get to that toy, it actually might be desperation um, to get that access to that toy based on the fact that you've deprived them. Furthermore, Sarah makes an impassioned point that limiting your dog's access to toys or other fun as a way to build drive or motivation for your chosen sport is a welfare issue, and I couldn't agree more, and that, in my opinion, even applies to working dogs. I do think that there is some nuance to be had about the fact that when a dog is doing a really important job, there may be some things that I am willing to accept as part of that job that I might not be willing to accept for a sport where your only purpose is gaining ribbons. But I still think it's really important to remember that our dogs are captive animals that did not choose this job. They did not choose to be here. They can't really opt out, you know, even when we try to give them options to opt out. And I think it is really, really important for us as handlers to always keep an eye on that 
and, um, you know, depriving them of things that they love in order to get a job done is just not something that I'm comfortable with. So let's remember that drive is basically your dog's willingness to work for a reinforcer. So a high drive dog may be willing to jump over a fence in order to get to its ball versus a lower drive dog might just watch you throw the ball and then wander back to chew on a stick, something like that. Um, Some dogs are going to push through brambles all day to follow an owner cone and eventually get their ball. Other dogs would never consider it worth even trying to get off the couch in order to go get a ball. Generally in this profession and with working dogs in general, we look for dogs that would do just about anything for a toy. Some trainers work with dogs that prefer food, but generally toys are the go-to in this line of work. Um, And we can get into this in why that may be in another episode, but I will actually say that my puppy Niffler um, works pretty much for both food and toys right now, um, which I actually really like. I talk about this a little bit more in my episode on working with adolescent detection dogs, um, but we're struggling with heat to the point that it's actually really nice to be able to reward him with food instead of toys so that we're not pushing his temperature up, but I digress. So desperation, in contrast, isn't a good feeling. Drive and desperation might look a lot alike. It's a dog that is eager to get to its toy, but they're not on kind of a emotional level. So let's think of a human example first. Um, so one of my ex-boyfriends is a really successful and smart entrepreneur. He's genuinely a super impressive person that I'm really grateful to know. He's incredibly driven, especially for financial success. He's got a vision of what he wants his life to be, and it involves enough spare capital to travel the world and retire very young. He works extremely hard for that money and to build his business. It's seriously so impressive and could be baffling at times when I was dating him because I'm a pretty driven person, but I actually found him exhausting at times. He worked his butt off to build his business and make money, but he was always relatively comfortable Um, and he wasn't working out of desperation. He was working out of drive. So let's contrast him with me in the summers between my sophomore and junior year of college. I had an unpaid internship at the Shine Mountain Zoo, and I just spent five months studying ecology in Ecuador, so I had absolutely no savings. I was so broke. I got a job as a bartender and really dove into building journey dog training that summer to make ends meet. Often came home from the zoo, showered, turned around, and went to the bar. On weekends, I trained dogs all day and headed then headed to the bar for work. I looked driven, But in reality, I was desperate to make ends meet. I sold my prized triathlon bike and my whitewater kayak that summer to ensure I could make rent. I was constantly stressed out and really unhappy. All that work and all of those hours came from a constant fear that I'd not be able to pay for groceries. And that is really different from my ex's work ethic, which was to build business and grow capital for long-term goals. They looked the same in a lot of ways, but they felt different. And while we can't look inside of our dogs and find out whether they're feeling drive or desperation, we can look at the environment that they're coming from and make an educated guess about whether they're coming at something for for a drive reason, which we can anthropomorphize and say it's because they love something and they want it, versus coming from a really sterile environment where they may be desperate for something simply because they're desperate for some sort of enrichment. 
So again, our dogs aren't necessarily playing ball in order to save for their retirements, but something similar may be at play. You can make just about any dog look like it's got really high food drive if you fast them or starve them for a couple days. And that is not the same thing as a stereotypical lab who will work all day for food without any deprivation. You know, so if you think about a lab that just, you know, they're never full, they're, you know, there's, they're literally just, they've got a gene that makes it feel like they're not full even when they are. That dog is, um, you know, and may potentially feel a little desperate and feel a little anxious around food, which is another discussion about the fact that I think sometimes drive actually does come with desperation, but it does not have to come from deprivation um, versus if you're fasting a dog for multiple days in order to get them to eat, in order to obtain your training goals or attain your training goals, that is based more on deprivation and desperation than your dog's natural drive. Hey everyone, just popping into this episode with an update on our Patreon. We still have the $3 a month doggy detector level, which allows you to ask questions for me and the guests to answer each episode, but now also lets you join our monthly training video analysis calls. These calls are going to be recorded, of course, and we'll also publish the video afterwards for everyone to view and ask questions about prior to the call to ensure that all time zones kind of participates fully. So we'll basically publish the video we're going to analyze so that you can ask questions and view it and prepare ahead of time. Then we'll have the call where we talk about it. We can have beverages. It'll be a good time. And then all of that is going to be shared later. So you can participate before, during, and after. Again, just for three bucks a month. Now, at the $10 a month sensational scientist level, you get everything that we got before at the $3 level, plus you get to submit videos of your training sessions for those calls. So this is perfect for the aspiring canine conservationist, and your target odor doesn't really matter here as long as you do communicate what it is so we can think intelligently about your goals. Um, so this is going to be great for nosework competitors and other canine handlers as well, and we're really striving to make these video calls super kind and supportive and helpful, so um, it's going to be a nice safe place on the internet to get good feedback back on your training sessions because I know how much of a struggle that can be, especially in the set work world. So then finally, the canine conservationist patrons get everything from those other two tiers, plus a private 30-minute training call with me to go over whatever you're running into with your dog. That tier is just 25 bucks a month, and that's cheaper than booking my time at journeydogtraining.com for behavior modification, and that's just because I love you and I love my patrons. That's definitely something to check out. You can join that Patreon over at patreon.com slash canineconservationists or at the link at canineconservationists.org. It's like a tiny link up in the top bar. And then we also drop that link into our show notes. So if you're listening on your podcast app, you should be able to find it just right from there. So thank you guys so much. And let's get back to the episode. In my episode with Dr. Susan Friedman, which I do recommend going back and listening to, we briefly touched on the idea that even without desperation, deprivation, the level of drive and desperation that some dogs feel about their toys is a bit troublesome from a welfare point of view, as I just mentioned. My dog Barley is kind of in this camp. If there's a tennis ball on top of the fridge, he used to sit and stare and wait for hours. We now have kind of got him to the place where he understands that if a ball is on top of the fridge, that's where I always put it, it is out of play and there is no point looking at it and he is able to turn off. But if I put a ball elsewhere, he still will sit and stare at that drawer and worry about it. And if he knows that there's a ball in the front yard, he will sit at the door for hours. Every single time you let open the front door, he dashes out to try to find the ball. He is always desperate for his ball. It's incredibly helpful for us to have a routine and structure around toys to help him relax and to stop worrying about the toys. Because no matter how much fetch I play with him, he's always worried about making sure he can get that that fix again. 
For him, it's really important that we don't have ball or frisbee-like toys out and about at all times because he simply cannot stop thinking about them. He's desperate even without any deprivation. Good lord, this episode is a tongue twister. I've consciously tried not to build up that level of obsession obsession with my puppy Niffler. Even though I do want that level of drive, I want Niffler to be willing and able to work hard for the job. I don't want him to always feel stressed about getting to toys. And Barley, he does always have access to other toys. He lives an incredibly full and rich life. But particularly, you know, we can't have balls and frisbees out and about for him because they're just too arousing for him. It is a central tenet of my work with canine conservationists to provide dogs with amazing lives, even if they never work again. My dogs eat high-quality food out of enriching puzzle toys. We go on off-leash hikes, trail runs, beach walks, and so on almost every day. My dogs sleep in my bed. They get pets pretty much whenever they want, as long as it's convenient for me. Um, as long, you know, if I'm, like, actively cooking, obviously, they don't. Um, you know, we don't do any of the nothing-in-life-is-free crap. Um, my dogs get to play other training games. They know plenty of tricks. Um, Niffler, who really enjoys playing with other dogs, gets to do that quite a bit. My dogs have free access to toys and we play together daily. Um, As I said, they have doggy friends and we socialize with others quite a bit. And that's somewhat unusual, even in progressive working dog circles, even from people I really, really admire who say they're at the cutting edge of working dog welfare. It's pretty common to limit a working dog's access to fun. There's this perception that letting your dog play with toys outside of work or sleep in your bed will reduce their willingness to work. If your dog doesn't want to work anymore just because you're giving them a good life off-duty, you need to reassess both your training plans and your welfare plans for your dog. Let me just say that again. If your dog does not want to work anymore just because you're giving them a good life when they're off-duty, you need to reassess both your training plan and your welfare plans for your dog. I'm not going to talk about dogs that are trained for apprehension work here because I don't know anything about apprehension work. Um, but, you know, I, I would say that with the limited knowledge that I have, it does make sense that if uh, an apprehension dog lives an extremely regimented, sterile structure life because of liability, I'm not talking directly to you. But for our detection dogs, that's different. Dogs that live happy, enriched lives are going to be better working partners. They're less stressed, they're physically fitter, and their bond with their handler is going to be stronger. I don't have data to back that up, but I know it. If you create your working dog all the time and limit their access to toys in the name of structure and the only fun that they ever have is at work, that is a concern to me. They may be frantic and desperate to get to work and they might look incredibly happy when they get to work, but that's because they're not allowed to move their bodies freely or have any fun at home. And I want your dog to have lots of hobbies, but to excel at their work because they love their work. The same as what you would want for yourself, your spouse, your kid, your friends. You want them to love the job that they have. You want that job to pay well. You want them to get that job to be fulfilling, but you also want your friends and family to enjoy their lives off duty. And the same goes for their dogs, for your dogs. This reminds me a little bit of working for nonprofits and the field of dog training. So a lot of the jobs that I've had, um, I've worked for so many organizations that argue that they don't pay a living wage because you should love the work and its mission and not be there for the money. And 
Frankly, I am sick of hearing that bullshit. It is one one of my top priorities at Canine Conservationists to ultimately be be able to pay my staff and, you know, ultimately myself enough that we can build careers, buy houses, and do whatever else my staff want with a fair wage for their hard work. Nonprofits get away with paying peanuts for the blood, sweat, and tears of their employees far too much in the name of passion, and it leads to burnout, poor employee performance, and turnover in so many organizations. And I am so passionate about this because almost every job I've ever left has been because my work is underpaid and undervalued and I am expected to stay at an organization for what is not a living wage because I'm supposed to care about the mission and love the work. Um, that's a little bit of a, a tangent, but it feels related here. And success in this line of working dogs, success in this line of work with our working dogs does come down to dog selection in some part, just like not everyone is cut out to be an investment banker or an Olympic athlete or anything else. Some dogs may not be suited for this job. And we're not talking about that here. Let's assume that you've done a halfway decent job of selecting a dog who's likely to have the drive for this sort of work. And you're doing a good job with your training to make sure that your dog is set up to enjoy the work and feeling successful and that you're building in a stepwise manner so that the dog can be successful and enjoy this work. And I'm not saying that it's cruel to modify incentives to help your dog enjoy the job. That is what training is. Of course, we want to pay our dogs well for their work. You do have to control some good stuff in order to reward the behaviors that you like. For example, I use Barley's absolute favorite toys to reward him for work. Same with Niffler. Um, Neither of my dogs has access to squeaky balls on ropes when we are not working. This really helps bring home the point to to my dogs that finding our target is absolutely worth the effort and it is so fun. You're working really hard, you get a great payout, and it is a fine line between that and depriving your dog of fun or playtime to make them want to work. But I just want to remind everyone that this is about fair pay, not leverage. I'm not trying to deprive my dog and keep them in the state of desperation so that they're willing to work. I'm just modifying incentives so that they're enthusiastic about their work. And again, they have access to plenty of other good things in life. So while Barley may choose, may if I asked Barley, he would probably choose to always have access to his squeaky toys, um, his squeaky balls on ropes, because he does have access to squeaky toys all the time. All the time. But, you know, just like I should not have access to ice cream all the time, and um, when I was a kid, shouldn't have had access to all sorts of fun things all the time, you know, we do as the humans and as the caretakers in um, these relationships have to do something as far as managing things. So again, there is a fine line, there's nuance here, and I'm not saying that modifying incentives is a bad thing here. So hopefully I'm getting that, that across here. Um, as I've been alluding to, some of the structure is also for our dog's own goods. Um, my dog Barley would absolutely injure himself and lose sleep if I let him have access to squeaky balls and frisbees all the time. He needs rest and relaxation, and he cannot sleep around those toys because they are too exciting for him. Those toys are limited. When we're in the midst of a heavy field season, we also limit our runs and other exercise to help the dogs get the rest that they need, but they still get plenty of good things like cuddles and low-key decompression walks, swimming time, etc. on their off days. So for example, after I finish recording this podcast, I'm planning on going for a run. I'm actually planning on leaving Niffler at home because he needs to get some good rest before his work day tomorrow. But we've been out and hanging out in the yard. He's been sniffing around and digging holes and chasing butterflies and having a good day. Otherwise, he just doesn't need that physical workout right now. I would love to hear everyone's thoughts and feelings on this. It's really nuanced and really, really important. So you can reach out 
in a variety of ways. Um, I would love to hear from you on social media. You can find us at Canine Conservationists or Collies Without Borders on Instagram. Those are my two accounts. Collies Without Borders is more kind of personal stuff. Canine Conservationists is strictly work. Um, you can find us on Twitter and TikTok. All of that is going to be linked. You can also email me at canineconservationists at gmail.com. You can comment whenever, wherever you find this on social media, or of course, leave us a, um, a review on the Apple Podcast Store. If you're interested in asking further questions on this topic or engaging with me more deeply, please join our Patreon. It helps fund everything we do here, including providing this free podcast. I hope that you learned a lot um, and have some good things to think about here. And I hope that you're feeling inspired to get outside and be a canine conservationist in whatever way suits your passions and your skill set. Again, you can find those show notes and extra info at the, on the episode at canineconservationist.org. You can support the nonprofit and buy merch and all sorts of stuff, again, over at canineconservationists.org. Until next time.